this morning. And then we'll have some more uh, open line conversation at the back end of the show. And there's a lot going on here at the station today. Governor Gina Raimondo will have her news conference at 1 o'clock. We will be carrying that news conference at 1 o'clock here on the station. And also uh, tonight, uh, Scott Gibbs uh, does a very interesting program that I think you'll enjoy. Um, we've had it on now for three or four months called Your Town. Hi, this is Scott Gibbs. It's a weekly radio program on WNRI called Your Town, dedicated to discussing the future of small cities like Woonsocket. The world is changing at an accelerating rate, and cities like ours need to keep pace and maintain economic relevance. Join me each Wednesday at 6 p.m. for a conversation regarding your town's future. Scott Gibbs is president of the Economic Development Foundation of Rhode Island and welcomes your calls to the program. The Little Red Truck is at your service. We are A&R Trailer Rentals of Woonsocket. We're a company that has those 45-foot storage trailers for rent or lease, and 20-foot ground-level containers are also available. And we offer leasing with the option to buy. We specialize in household and commercial storage for the public, so if you're looking for a place to store household items while remodeling or renovating, then look no further. We have your temporary storage needs available for a fraction of the cost of those storage facilities. And if you're looking to store seasonal items like uh, snowmobiles or jet skis, we have the perfect solution. Call Al Gagnon at 766-1919. Need temporary storage? With the little red truck, give us a call. And for your lawn and garden, we can deliver Wright's Farm Cow Manure, or you can select from an organic mix, which is a lab tested by the University of Maine for your lawn and garden, with also gravel, sand, clay, stone dust, and mulch available, delivered right to your property. Al Gagnon's Little Red Truck will bring it to you, and here is his number for rates and more information, 766-1919, 766-1919. Listening to WNRI's Upfront, a radio internet talk show. Now, let's get back to the panel. All right, we're back to the panel. Uh, Jeff joined me for a few minutes on this side of the program and uh, probably on the other side of the program as we uh, make our way down to 815 and our interview with uh, John Ward, member of the Woonsocket City Council. And it's all part of WNRI's continuing program of um, providing free time to the candidates so they can come in and... Um, uh, expound a little bit more in detail about what their candidacy is all about. Good morning, Jeff. How are we doing over there? Very well. I'll take a moment to uh, talk about this series you've uh, been doing now for several, several weeks. Uh, we're calling it the Meet the Candidates series. Uh, typically, on a, an election cycle such as this, we would have a debate with the mayoral candidates, and we would do a presentation like we did last cycle, where we would simply have all the 14 uh, city council candidates and five school committee candidates appear and just address the audience. Not really a debate, but a meet the candidate night. Uh, due to the pandemic, we've relocated it to a meet the candidate series uh, at this point in time. And we, of course, know lives are busy. You can't be here every single Wednesday at nine at 8.15. Uh, although we don't understand fully why you're not here. Yeah, I don't understand that at all. Uh, but we understand life happens. So mm -hmm. uh, to make it easy for you, if you wish to uh, hear about the candidates running for city council, you can go to WNRI.com. 
Now, of course, this is part of the Upfront program, so you can find it there. But in order to accommodate the listeners, uh, if you see on the right-hand side, WNRI Meet the Candidate series, uh, the only thing appearing in there is the interviews with the candidates. It's our special programming page. So you'll see them all listed there, the ones that have appeared already for city council, and also a special double edition where you had the candidates for state representative District 49. Both candidates were on that program. So they're all there. They're edited out. You don't have to wait through anything else. It's simply the candidate's appearance. For your convenience, you can go back and hear all the candidates that have appeared here on the Meet the Candidate series. Now, before we uh, let Jeff go, uh, I have a statement, and then I have a question for him, a question from a listener. Uh, the statement is, uh, somebody said, where does Jeff go when you're interviewing a guy like John Ward? What does he do? Does he, uh, does he uh, drink his Mountain Dew in a corner or have a pizza? No, Jeff uh, prepares for Recipe for a Good yeah. Day, and uh, he's uh, preparing for... For the show today. Yeah, and I'm going to go look at my Spice of the Week. Mm-hmm. Uh, right. It's a segment where we learn about herbs and spices within mm-hmm. the program. i got to put that. That's one of my duties. It's a question where we learn whether you put uh, sawdust into meatloaf. <laughs> and would you even know the difference if you did with, with the ketchup in it, you know? Probably not. Right. Uh, well, the ketchup, you lost me at the ketchup. Mm-hmm. I'm probably the only guy from one socket who's not big on ketchup. Well, we're going to have a question on factor crop tomorrow on ketchup, so maybe you should oh, uh, do right. research. Up on it. But the final thing I wanted to talk to you about, a listener sent me an attachment, which I just attached to, and it says here, this is according to, uh, let's see, uh, AccuWeather Global Weather Center, and this was issued, and they said that there is a big, big storm coming this weekend and it's going to be um, up in the mountains they're going to have uh, snow in the, uh, you know New Hampshire and, and Vermont uh, so that people uh, can start thinking about skiing but down here we're going to have a substantial rainfall. Have you heard about this? Yeah, several inches of rain. We were talking about that this morning starting early on your Friday. Real heavy late afternoon into the evening and the overnight. Very heavy Saturday morning and then it will improve Saturday afternoon, but between Friday morning and Saturday, we'll say midday, we're looking at a several inches of rain, which is where we were saying you're not going to have to water your lawn, Roger, for a few days. That sounds great to me. All right, more rain on the way. But it beats snow. All right, <laughs> that's for sure. All right, Jeff's going to work on the meatloaf, and we're going to work on a commercial from Savini's, and then we'll have John Ward with us. Savini's Pomodoro Restaurant is open for inside and outside dining, too. And you can enjoy our famous and very popular Sicilian-style pizza, clam cakes and chowder, fish and chips, fried clam sandwiches, and our full Italian specialties, too. And you can always order takeout, taking reservations for indoor and outdoor service at 762-5114. Savini's Pomodoro, Rathbun Street. Socket open Tuesday through Sunday, and yes, we always have family style chicken. All right, and uh, Savini's will uh, open around four o'clock uh, this afternoon. And uh, I like to look at their um, their Facebook page and uh, see all the kind of uh, specials that they have. Uh, looks like um, this was just posted 15 hours ago, so this is pretty accurate. Savini's chicken noodle soup will be offered. And also we have these uh, garlic parmesan tenders. We're going to be featuring fish and chips today. Our pepperoni and mushroom pizza. Our buffalo chicken pizza. And 
Our entree is a chicken parmesan with your choice of pasta. So uh, if you enjoy dining, you'll enjoy your uh, dining experience at Sabini's Pomodoro. And yes, family-style chicken, all you can eat. Dine-in or take-out, $11.99. It features a salad and the rolls and the oven-roasted uh, chicken, of course, and ziti, roasted peppers, uh, roasted potatoes, and our hand-cut fries. Would you like to make a reservation for uh, dining in the dining room? That's what we do. We dial up 762-5114. We request a booth. I like the booths. And so uh, they do try to accommodate you at uh, the Pomodoro. All right. Uh, a message from Champs Liquors, and then we'll spend a half hour with John Wood. Champs Liquors for Keyway, 481 Clinton Street, Woonsocket. Still on sale, Tisdale Wines from California. In six varieties, including a Pinot Grigio, Merlot, Cabernet, White Zinfandel, Chardonnay, and a Moscato. And yes, it's still two bottles for $10. Share in life's endless possibilities with Tisdale Vineyards of California. Quality wine. And we continue the best price in town on Bud and Bud Light, 30-pack, 25.50 plus tax. Champs Liquors for Keyway, Clinton Street, Woonsocket. Champs Liquors now offers in-store shopping. Come on in and browse around. You're welcomed. Social distancing observed at Champs Liquors. And remember, if you have a question, call us at 765-1800 and we'll cheerfully answer any question you have about beer, wine, and liquors. Champs Liquors or Keyway, Woonsocket. You're listening to WNRI's Upfront, a radio internet talk show. Now, let's get back to the panel. All right, the panel has uh, reconvened on this Wednesday morning. And so on Wednesdays through Election Day, we uh, chat with uh, some of the people who are on the ballot. Fourteen names on the Woonsocket uh, City Council ballot this year. And uh, you have um, your selection. You can choose one. You can choose up to seven. And... uh, and so one of those people who's going to be on the ballot is on the ballot, and that's John Ward. Good, good morning, sir. Welcome. Good morning, Roger, and thank you very much for affording us this opportunity to come in and express ourselves to the voters before the election. All right, and the purpose of these programs is not to, uh, you know, throw any pointed questions at the uh, guests. They're, they're our guests, and we want them to kind of showcase and highlight uh, their uh, their candidacy in the best way that they uh, they can. So, do you feel um, in beginning our uh, our interview that um, that you have a track record uh, over the years? And maybe you could start answering that question by saying how long you've been in politics. When was your first uh, entry into Woonsocket politics, John Wood? Wow, uh, my first entry into Woonsocket politics was actually in the 80s when I ran for a constitutional convention seat and lost uh, to Marty Crowley, so I justify that I lost. Yeah, that was a good person to lose, uh, too. Person, I wouldn't yeah. feel bad about no, that. No, I, I didn't. It was actually myself, <clears throat> Dave Boulay, and Ray O'Claire that ran against Marty, and Marty just uh, swept us aside and served on a constitutional convention. But then in 1995, when my brother ran for mayor, I first ran for school committee, and I was elected to the school committee five times, serving from 1995 to 2005, and then I ran for city council and was elected to the city council through the election of 2011, serving for eight years, and unfortunately the budget commission issues arose, and uh, the people thought that they would be better off with new people taking over back in 2013, so they uh, 
I, I did not win re-election. Um, and then I sat out the next election, so I ended up not serving for five years. And in 2018, I came back and ran again because, frankly, I really like being on the council. Um, I like doing the work of the council. I like working on legislation. I work, like working on the budgets, analyzing the data. Um, and you, as so many people who see my emails know, I like doing research and getting information and being able to, uh, to dis discuss it and debate uh, the, the issues from several sides and come to a consensus and a conclusion and vote to do things that are hopefully improving the status of the people in the city and the city in, of itself. Sometimes when you do these interviews, you say, can you name specific legislation that you sponsored? Uh, it, it doesn't work that way so much on the Woonsocket City Council, but I do think that there's uh, what we call uh, all kinds of resolutions and ordinances that move through the city council but uh, maybe, uh, maybe you can answer that question well, I, specifically. I can, actually, because in this case, under normal circumstances, most legislation comes from the administration and passes through the council because it's an idea that they've encountered uh, in their day-to-day -day activities that says that we can do something a little bit better or a little bit different uh, because of circumstances. However, in the case of my experience in the last two years, uh, circumstances have actually flipped that because what I'm finding is there are things done by the administration um, and, and our inability to communicate with them and deal with issues uh, has made it necessary that I actually wrote a couple of pieces of legislation from scratch. Um, one of my objections coming in was, if you remember, the, the city administration had taken any oversight or participation role from the city council on CDBG, Community Development Block Grant budgets, um, so I drafted the legislation that the rest of the council approved that would put the um, put the city council back into that process so that we can have the discussion. It doesn't mean we're going to overturn the budget or try to control what's going on, but simply to be informed and have the public hearing in front of the, the, the citizens at a council meeting, which is the most public forum we have in the city. Um, so that, that ordinance passed uh, eventually and was put in place. Another one that I dealt with had to do with a problem where the several nonprofits in the city, you know, if you don't operate a nonprofit as a nonprofit, it becomes a taxable property if it's not taxable. Uh, unfortunately, it occurred with the previous tax assessor who is now working still for us part time that she simply made a decision about certain properties and sent them a bill with no notification, no communication with them, no inquiries simply making a decision on her own that she had decided that they were doing something that made them taxable instead of non-taxable. And so I, I, I heard from them, and they were given bills that were extraordinarily high and un, unannounced. And so I had to draft legislation um, that would put in a mechanism for them to appeal the decision or the ta require the tax assessor to notify them and then allow them an opportunity to appeal the assessor's decision through the assessor and, and then possibly through the council if necessary um, because the council is the, the body that has the authority to abate taxes so we should be making those kinds of decisions on whether something, whether a property has become taxable or not. Um, and so that legislation was introduced and supported by the council and passed and passed sufficiently so that when the um, 
when the mayor got it, she vetoed it. And uh, it was one of the 20 that have recently been highlighted. One of those 20 that the mayor vetoed that the council overrode the veto. Um, because it, it makes sense as a protection for for average citizens who are running or citizens who own properties that for legal reasons are tax exempt. And before you go send them a bill, you should actually communicate with them. Which again, points to much of the problem I've encountered in the last two years, which has to do with uh, asking questions and not getting answers, requesting information necessary for me to act as a council person and not getting answers. So, so there's two pieces of legislation that we actually, I wrote personally, and um, shepherded through. I worked with other council people on a third piece of legislation because of the issue with the uh, status of municipal use versus the nonprofit educational operation that's we call Rise Mayoral Academy and the zoning officials' decision that that they contended could not be appealed. And so I f we f we felt on the council that it was uh, it was. I guess not specific enough because they made a wrong interpretation. And so we redrafted that section of the zoning, um, zoning ordinance uh, to make it clear exactly what is municipal use and what is not municipal use. And then to categorize it under those things that require council approval prior to such a use being designated on any property. So it brought the council into the discussion about when a property becomes a municipal use because... We are the legislative body of the city, and we should participate in those decisions and not be left to a hired zoning official who simply makes a choice, and we have to live with it. So, yeah, and that's only in two years we've had to do that, through, you know, three separate times to write legislation. On that issue, just a point of interest for me uh, in, in the news uh, realm, am I interpreting that is that the, the uh, Rise Mayoral Academy uh, was illegally placed in the location that it was placed. But based on all the things that have happened, it can't happen again, but it's okay that it happened this time. It's almost like they, they were able to uh, get in well, under the wire. I won't say it's okay that it happened. It won't happen again. It won't happen again. It is not okay that it happened because it was done through secrecy and subterfuge and private meetings. And um, so it's not okay that it was done, but it will. I, I guarantee you it will not be undone by the courts, mm -hmm. even if the Supreme Court rules in favor of the council on its appeal. So it's still pending? It's still pending in the Supreme Court. Oh. The, the, uh, much of that was slowed up with COVID, but the, uh -huh. the, the arguments have been filed with the Supreme Court, and they have to make a decision. I'm not sure exactly when that will play out. But even if the court says, yes, you are right, counsel, that, that, was, that was an inappropriate interpretation, it is... It's moot now because the building's there, the school's operating, nothing's going to change that. Um, however, it's a good guide as to uh, whether or not the, the right or wrong thing was done. And frankly, I think the wrong thing was done. But frankly, I think the whole operation of municipal academies in acquiring property by allowing it to go into closed sessions under the guise of being a municipal property, um, I, I think the closed sessions were also an illegal uh, meeting, but you know that's something that's again a moot point to argue because the school's in operation now. John Watt is with us, member of the Woonsocket City Council, running for re-election. Uh, John, looking at the uh, the ballot uh, grouping is what I want to call it. So you have uh, what I call the Alex Kithis grouping, and then you have what I call the uh, Garrett Manseri grouping. 
And then we have uh, what I would call the um, city council uh, incumbents grouping, which would be um, you and uh, Kanoyer and Gendron and, um, and Sierra. And I don't know if you're throwing Roger Gillette into that grouping. But the uh, point is that we have three groupings out there. Then I think we have a couple people like uh, Valerie Gonzalez uh, running alone, she uh, says in her advertisements. So um, what about this grouping and how it relates to the uh, face of, um, of Woonsocket's future? Uh, should elements of this grouping and that grouping come in? I, I think it's in, uh, that, that's part of the election thing. Even though you're here as an individual candidate, I think uh, the groupings of how uh, we end up with the city council is probably more significant than an individual member like yourself getting elected. I don't know if you feel that way. It can be. Um, groupings oftentimes, you know, it's, e it's easier to run financially when you're lumped in with a group because you can share expenses that can sometimes become a bit much. Um, and by the way, I need to correct you because you keep saying that there will be 14 names on the ballot. There's actually have 13 names on the ballot. Um, I, I one, didn't two, know three, that. 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14. Because one of the gentlemen who had signed up, remember, didn't turn in his papers and fell No, I don't remember that. Do you remember who uh, his name um, I can't remember off the top of my head right now. But So there are only 13. Only 13 names. And oh. by the way, for the first time in a long time, I think maybe ever, uh, my name's not at the bottom of the list of council candidates. So I have to ask people to go to the next to the bottom um, of the list alphabetically because that's where my name will be found. I really appreciate that because, I mean, I'm going to be talking about this election right through November 3rd, and so yes. now I can correct it's that, and people Kenoyer, say, hey, what do you mean there's only 13? Kenoyer, Disney, Gendron, Gonzalez, Gay, Gillette, Kithis, Vinceri, Miller, Marceau, Sierra, Susie, Warden, Webster, yeah, that's 13. Mm -hmm. um, so, so back to the group. So back to the groups. And, and so there's a, there's a couple of reasons for having groups. Um, one of them is, is philosophy, and I think if you look at the, what's, the group that's calling itself the Woonsocket Democrats, the four, Alex Kithis and, and his, his friends are, are fellow candidates running as a group. They tend to share a philosophy. It's tied to, as you've seen, things that get them, um, get them endorsed by the Secretary of State, Corbea, and by, by uh, Bernie Sanders, because they tend to be of a liberal point of view. They, there's a lot of what I guess um, critical people of them, I don't know if it's called critical, but one of the criticisms is that they seem, they seem to be seeking to change the entire world through the city of Woonsocket as the, as the epicenter of that change. Um, and so they, they share a philosophy in running. Now, they also share expenses, and they happen to be tapping a very large amount of money coming in from outside of the city. Um, so I don't, I don't know how strong their views are among the voters, but it, it's a philosophical uh, cohesion that keeps them together. I think the same thing applies with Garrett Manseri, Dave Susi, and Mar Margo Marceau. They, they, there's a certain philosophy and a focus on downtown redevelopment and, and housing, affordable housing, and things of that nature. Where I think the five of us, and of course I'm going to start getting text messages now, um, the five of us uh, that are running together, Jim and Dan and Roger and Denise and myself, um, we have similar philosophies about conservatism generally in our budget practices. Um, we have similar philosophy about attempting to do everything we can to 
get the government out of the way of creating opportunities for economic development and stimulating economic development and keeping tax rates low and balancing the budget. More of the practical aspects of running a city. And so, but, but we have, believe me, get us in a room, you'll find out how different our opinions are about things. But what we do is we get together and share the expenses of running a campaign because it's, it's cost efficient. And, um, and we are generally of a like mind in what we think is important to running the city. Uh, and it works because it gets, it, it allows us to put the name out and put the information out more broadly about who we are and what we represent. So that's why people do it. Um, Ms. Gonzalez has apparently hooked herself up with the mayor in many situations. I know her mailing was using the, um, the mayor's um, mailing list because the mailer that came to my house had the strange address that was used on the, on the mayor's mailing that came to my house. And it's, it's unique. It's the first time I've ever seen it like that. Um, so clearly they use the same product in the mailing list. So she has worked with her. In, I guess in some of her campaigning um, but the interesting thing is that she's a Republican and is a very conservative person uh, running with a mayor who's a Democrat and is also a cons relatively conservative person um, at least financially when it comes to the budgets um, but yeah it's, it's just how you run campaigns it's been going on for many many years Are you um, uh, besides being a uh a numbers guy, um, I, I think of you and James Canoyer as really uh, crunching the numbers. Do you, um, do you think outside of that? Um, do you think about um, the education budget much? Do you think about economic development uh, much? Uh, do you think about, um, about the police department and the fire department much? You know, I've just been corrected. There's 14. All right. I My will. apologies. Okay. I counted wrong when I looked at the ballot. Okay, that's okay. So I'm sorry. You counted I'm wrong. Sorry. I, yes. You're an accountant. Well, I was counting on one at a time. I didn't have my calculator or my spreadsheet. What Not was a problem. Question? I'm sorry. So, anyway, outside of uh, thinking about finances, uh, you and, and Mr. Kanoya seem to be the, the finance guys on the council. Uh, do you think much about economic development? Do you think much about uh, education? Do you think much about, uh, uh, about the police and fire department? Um, uh, things like that. All the time. All the time. Um, much of it is tied to the budget in terms of how you finance those things, especially in relation to uh, things like economic development. You know, one of the problems Socket has is we're very isolated in this city in terms of highways. The, the highway system that was supposed to touch us never did. And so it's, it's, you have to create something in the city that's going to get people to drive off of the highways to come into the city. Um, to, to find what we have here to offer. And I, I use Stadium Theater as an example. It's a great draw. It gets people to come into the city. It, it is what probably, um, as, a, as a single most important feature of how we develop uh, the restaurant business that thrives in downtown Woonsocket, stems from the location of the Stadium Theater and its success. Um, so, at least in my mind, that's what it does. Uh, in terms of education, you know, we always have the challenge of funding. I had advocated for increasing the funding, at least nominally, to the school department. We did it one year for $250,000. We have plenty of contingency in this year's budget if, if a need arises, but it looks like the COVID money is going to supplement their budget well, so we may not need it, but it's available if we need to, and it's always important to try to 
uh, fund education properly to be able to deliver education to a population that is often challenged. Uh, police and fire, um, always looking for the best methods and ways to deal with uh, the public safety, um, especially with the police department. I know that the uh, recent racism advisory board, review board, um, went, th me went through meetings with the police, uh, the public safety director, the chief, and, and some of the staff at the police department and inquiring about some of their practices and, and the, the accreditation that they've achieved um, actually has helped them improve their practices and make changes. And, you know, that's not necessarily a budget thing. It's more about an allocation that they have to make of their own budget in how they do training and hiring and recruiting. And, uh, and it's important that we get it right. And so, yeah, you think about those things all the time and much of what those things are and do comes from how you fund them to a certain extent. John, I noticed uh, you brought some papers with you. I did. Uh, I think that uh, I at least want to give you the opportunity before we run out of time to uh, um, mention something that you wanted to mention. You know, I mean, you come to a program and say, you know, when I get there, I, I do want to point out. You know, you point a out. clock up on the right side so the visitor could look up and see mm -hmm. the time. Oh, uh, well, you can look over here. Oh, I have to strip and then, there uh, is one. Right? Okay. And then, um, yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, so, so, what do you want to talk about? Well, I, I brought a lot of paper, but it was more if it was having to be responsive. One of them had to do with the fact that there were um, twenty vetoes that had to be overridden by the city council. Um, and I think you know, uh, people can appreciate that. As I said, I like to do homework, um, and maybe I'll be getting into a controversial topic, but it's never been. I've never hesitated to get into what some no. people perceive to be controversial topics. First, I, I want to I commend the Public Works Department, which I'm going to separate from the city administration and city hall. Um, they do fantastic work, and I think it's because Steve D'Agostino runs, uh, runs it well and manages it properly and is aggressive in making sure that the job gets done. City hall, on the other hand, is um, to many minds, is a different environment, a different culture. And we have been lacking in a consistent tax assessor filling a role. We have never had a planning director other than Steve Lima for a short time. Um, in seven years that this mayor has been in office because it's been two retirees, uh, mainly because they were allowed to keep a full pension and get a full paycheck. And, um, and then Scott Gibbs, who has filled in as the director of the Economic Development Foundation, but not as a full-time employee. And so... Those, some of those things make it awkward in City Hall, and I think there can be improvements there, and there should be improvements in how that is managed. But the other thing I brought with me briefly is I did bring the uh, Racist Policies Review Advisory Board report because there are, there are going to be discussions, and I'll, I'll say right out of the gate that based on the limited amount of information they were able to collect and analyze, that I will say that this board should be reinstated at the initiation of the next council um, to continue its work because Chairman Gray and the group um, made a sincere effort and came up with a list of things that I may or may not agree with and several of them I don't agree with in terms of, in terms of what we can do. Uh, many of them are charter amendments and I think there's a need for the next mayor to initiate a charter review board to look at these questions that are being raised um, in terms of whether or not we have dist uh, wards or districts as opposed to all at-large candidates, term limits, 
the language in the charter, several things. Uh, and, and the issues that they raise deserve to be addressed, debated, and cons to a certain extent considered by the voters in, a, in either the next election or a special election. So in that regard, I think that, that there's a validity to this. And I say it from the context of, again, I'll show you this, but as a data guy, I went looking through census report for 2010 to 2000. I can validate he has real paperwork. I, yeah. I do. Um, well, what I was doing was collecting to see how many of the cities and towns have district seats and at-large seats or just at-large or just district. And, of course, it boils down to the top five or six communities, top ten communities, actually, most of which do have district seats or a combination of district and a couple of at-large. And Woonsocket does stand out as one of the larger communities that simply does... I'm going to have to stop them from chiming me. It's uh, a pretty has, sound, though. It is. Sounds um, nice on the radio. It, it's one of the larger communities that has nothing but at-large. Uh, the next high, largest community that has only at-large candidates, uh, councils, are um, South Kingstown and North Kingstown. But every other major urban area... Um, and Cumberland and Coventry and North Providence and Johnston and Warwick and Westerly and Lincoln all have district representation on their council. Um, and, and so I broke it down by that and I broke it down by the, you know, and the argument is that there are certain neighborhoods that, that may be underrepresented. And again, it's, I'm not going to say that's true or false because I think people who serve on the council now uh, genuinely have the best interest of the entire city at heart. I'm not going to accuse them of saying we're going to take care of one and exclude another. Um, but I don't, I don't know whether that's the same thing as actually living in the neighborhood that you, rep that you represent. Um, so it's these, these issues and others that they bring up are worthy of discussion in the future, and I hope that this can be reinstated and continued, and we can get more information and do a charter review commission and put some of these items up for discussion in a much more public forum than previous mm -hmm. Charter Review Commissions. I'd love to have the opportunity to vote on at-large and neighborhood um, ward system uh, voting. I like the at-large system uh, myself uh, because what it does is that uh, it, it, if you take the, the city and divide it into seven segments, how many really good qualified candidates can you get out of one-seventh of a neighborhood? I, I like the idea that there's um, a chance to choose people uh, based on on their, I guess, uh, intelligence and their their background, rather than have some candidate come up only because uh, he lives uh, on Fairmount Street. Well, uh, but but affordability sometimes comes into play when you're doing trying to run a campaign across the whole city and and reachability of the voters. And so, <clears throat> I like I like at large in this regard. At large allows you to establish people with a credential and sufficient support citywide so that there would be a valid argument that somebody has the kind of support in the community to take on a mayor that many may be in opposition to at any given point in time. Um, and I, I tend to prefer, I think, a mix of if you're going to have, if you're going to have district or wards in the city, uh, I would offset it with a certain number of at-large seats also. And that's what most communities do is some district and a few at-large. Uh, however, on school committees, I don't believe that districts matter. Uh, actually, I think it's detrimental to have districts because people start fighting for their school. Um, and in fact, I think it's, it should be an at-large situation. However, there's also the question of term limits that they bring up, and that's been discussed by many people across many years. 
um, and I think he deserves another hearing. And we should we should look to, to change change or consider changing many things. Here's my question: uh, uh, We are hearing about funding uh, from the state of Rhode Island. Uh, the budget, uh, Mr. Mayor, the governor rather will be speaking weekly at her news conference today. She'll be talking about. Uh, whether she can use federal money to help balance the budget and so forth. I think we can expect, however, that maybe we will not see as many dollars from the state of Rhode Island uh, coming into Woonsocket and other communities for that matter. So my question is, um, do you foresee a cut and how it's going to impact Woonsocket's future finances, Mr. Finance Guy. I guess you could answer that in terms of even your uh, your job in Lincoln, too. Well, I, I, do see, I do see cuts coming because I don't know, depending on the outcome of, of the election, um, they may or may not actually be able to, to come to terms with a new stimulus package that has been put on hold, I guess, at this point. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that the governor and the General Assembly were relying on in order to help them get money to, um, how should I say, prop up the budget, you know, support it with dollars for the operating budget. You know, the CARES money was simply to support reimbursements for COVID-related expenses, which are not general operations, like education aid, like um, community aid for distressed communities, things of that nature. So their general operation is the expenses are staying the same. She hasn't laid anybody off. People are either working at home or staying home and getting paid. And so their budget is going to suffer because the revenues, even after the federal stimulus money comes, if it props up the 2021 budget, 2022, 2023, 2024, I can tell you uh, confidently are going to be a slow recovery economically in terms of uh, what the state has become far too dependent on, which is gambling, um, the money will slowly grow back to what it was before, but not it won't be an instantaneous conversion. And I think the income tax from jobs, because of the nature of how the work environments have changed around the world, um, I think some of that will come back. But again, it will be a slow two or three year process. So the state's going to have less money to work with. And unless the federal government comes in and throws more money at them year over year, it's going to be a challenge for them. So that means when they're challenged, cities and towns suffer <laughs> because they got to take care of themselves first. Um, so I, I expect there to be a problem. It's going to be a tight squeeze, and we will have to confront it and deal with it. And I don't think big spending programs are going to be in our future in the near term. So you don't expect a big federal bailout to trickle down to Woonsocket? Well, I think if it happens for 21, then, then it'll take care of any issues that may exist now, um, combined with funding for the CARES Act items, uh, the COVID-related items. But I th- I'm more concerned with 2022 and 2023. And, and especially if the General Assembly, as many fear, um, goes more to the liberal end or progressive end in terms of control, there may be more spending on things that that pulls away from spending on some of the things that support communities like Woonsocket. Before I ask you to wrap things up uh, and give your pitch, can I ask you a, a, a negative question? Uh, sure. It's um, not unpleasant, but what really irks you most about being on the council that, that you'd like to uh, 
that you'd like to change. There must be some kind of a frustration. There is. Yeah, and um, I'd like you to answer that. Yeah, there is, and it's just the frustration I've expressed every time I've been on the air or at meetings, and that's the fact that we ask questions, we ask for information, and we are routinely ignored too often. Um, we have to fight. Sometimes we're treated as if we have to wait the 10 days like we would for a public records request when all we're asking for is information in order to make decisions. Um, I get frustrated with that lack of communicability with members of the administration. We're having to funnel it through the law department, all kinds of technical reasons to block us from getting information. Uh, it's very frustrating as a councilman to have to deal with that. And, and underneath and that question is, uh, is, it seems to me, as it relates to you, uh, that you and me, because I'm, I'm hoping that you're going to get the answer, you can't get fiscal answers no, in the city of Woonsocket. I, do, you, do you really know what our fiscal condition no, is as no, you speak no. here? We, we, got a, we finally, you know, we wait months to get monthly reports that are required by the local ordinances and the state law. Um, but we don't get them. Um, as a matter of fact, we have an administration who hired or continues to employ Paul Luba, even though there's no, no budgetary authorization to do it, uh, claiming that the state was going to fully reimburse us. And when I investigated that, found out that that was, that was a, a severe exaggeration, I'll call it, um, because they're not going to fully reimburse us, which means they're employing him in violation of our charter and ordinances. Uh, but they continue to do it. And I... I I respect Mr. Luber and what he does, but that's not how the budget works and it's not how the city works. And that's part of the frustration. It's, it's this. What does he do? It's, it's a mayor and an, running an administration that is, I will do what I want. Um, and as they say, it's, it's uh, I guess it's easier for her to seek forgiveness than ask permission. What does he do, incidentally? Uh... Well, he most recently was working on the LED streetlight program and getting that, that contract and the the. Um, the RFP development that he did in conjunction with Lincoln and Smithfield, he worked on that and reviewing the, the bids that came in. And I guess I would imagine he will be working to implement some of that in terms of getting through the contract process. Uh, the rest of it, I would think he simply functions as a as a as an operational person within the finance department. But I don't know how that could be because we can't even get monthly financial reports on time. So. That's, that's frustrating. And I, I say that, and I'm, I hesitate to criticize the finance director because I never know what actually triggers this kind of delay. All I know is that every month, without exception, except for August, because the month, the year, fiscal year has just started, it's kind of useless to do a monthly report. But except for August, um, I produce a financial report for the council because it's required by law. And I produce it, and I give a narrative report, and... They get it, and they can feel free to ask me any question at any time. And, and I have to tell you, when a council person asks me a question in the town of Lincoln, their question becomes the priority. Because to me, if they're asking, it's because it's, it's important for them to make decisions, informed decisions, and they wouldn't ask if they just wanted to waste my time. So we respond immediately and as completely as possible. Uh, sum up your uh, campaign remarks, please. I think we just spoke about it. I, I prefer, I would prefer if we could have a transparent and, and communicative administration, but I will continue to ask questions that I think need to be answered and work on legislation if we unfortunately have to do it or fortunately have to do it. Um, I've enjoyed doing it. I like doing homework and research, and I, I like what we do for the city of Woonsocket by being a member of the city council. 
I enjoy the company of the people I do it with and hope that you will support the people I'm running with because I think we achieve much um, for the benefit of the city. And I hope that you will seek to change the administration in City Hall because maybe, maybe I'm confident we will have a better uh, communication with the administration in a more cooperative environment in order to continue to improve on the things that are done for the city. That was so, your way of saying I support John Breen? Yes, that's uh-huh. my way of saying I okay. support John Breen. I want to thank you. Uh, any, and I support have... me. Uh-huh, yeah. So please. And I support you, November too. November <laughs> 3rd, or now. You can vote now, early voting, at I City can? Hall. Mm-hmm. And you can, I'm assuming at City Hall, because the council put a resolution in requiring that they do mm-hmm. it in Harris Hall. Um, so you can vote now, um, early voting. You can do mail ballots, and you can wait until November 3rd and vote. And I... Hope you can support me, John Ward, next to the last on the list of candidates on November the 3rd. Thank you, Mr. Council Member John Ward, for joining us. Thank you very much for offering us the time. Always a pleasure chatting with you, too. Back in a moment. Kayer Kosher, your accounting, financial planning, tax preparation, and business consulting services of Woonsocket and Warwick. 600 Cass Avenue, Woonsocket, Jefferson Boulevard, and Warwick. Call us locally at 766-8100. Remember, outside of the tax season, we do planning for business, individuals, and families. We're Kayer Kosher. We're certified public accountants. Again, our local number, 766-8100. And remember, having Kayer Kosher to consult with on your personal financial situation is like having all the right answers. Scott McGee of REMAX Properties brings his years of real estate experience to you, whether buying or selling. Check out this property currently on the market from the McGee team. All right. um, Scott McGee always has interesting uh, properties. And this time we're going to 86 Beacon Avenue. And uh, I guess that's right here in this district, right? Right here in Eastman Socket. And this property is up at two ninety nine nine, and it's pretty. I'm looking at it now. Um, uh, has a uh, one car built in garage, and um, it's got three bedrooms, one and a half baths. It was built in two thousand and three, and as Scott uh, puts in his notes to me, uh, Roger, tell them that this is a great Eastman Socket Colonial, offering a spacious eat-in kitchen with stainless steel appliances. Ceramic tile floor with the sliders to a great patio area. There's an open formal dining room, living room combination with hard wood floors. On the upper level, you'll find two good-sized guest rooms. And then the spacious master bedroom with a walk-in closet and a full bath. Lower level could easily be furnished for the fourth bedroom or a playroom or a man cave. Plenty of room in the backyard for the entire family, too. Bonus solar panels to save you money on your electric bill. Don't blink. You might miss this one. Scott McGee would like to talk to you at 639-2906 or 356-1519. Scott McGee, your real estate guy here in the Blackstone Valley. All right. Open at 4 today. Actually, open at 3.30. Inside dining, outside dining, or your favorite pickup order to go from Grumpy's Restaurant, Bellingham. Open seven days a week with a great luncheon menu and a full menu from burgers to steaks to seafood to our Italian dishes and our tasty pizzas. One of the best menus in the area. Hungry tonight or today? Come on in today and enjoy the friendly service, reasonable prices, and great food at Grumpy's. Call ahead for pickup order or place a reservation to dine in at 508-883-0101. Grumpy's, 190 Palacio.
Pulaski Boulevard, Bellingham, Massachusetts. Grubhub delivery also available. All right, try Grumpy's uh, this afternoon. And uh, like I said, they uh, open about around 3.30, 4 o'clock. And, and what's nice on Monday through Thursday, it's one of our favorites. And they've had it for a number of years now. It's very popular. That's why they keep it. And that is the um, three, um, let's see, the, there are sometimes, I, I don't think I've seen three. I, I think five items is usually what they have on the menu. $10 dinners at Grumpy's. Ten bucks, and you can enjoy um, uh, a full meal, like uh, meatloaf, uh, potato, and vegetable, that kind of thing. And uh, that's on a Monday through Thursday basis. The name of the place is Grumpy's in South Bellingham. And uh, Brian LaHousse and crew will be uh, more than happy to take good care of you. I promise. You're listening to WNRI's Upfront, a radio internet talk show. Now, let's get back to the panel. All right. Good morning, everybody. Uh, so John Ward has uh, spoken, and he's a pretty articulate guy, huh? Yeah, sorry I kept texting him through the show. <laughs> you were texting him? No, what's no. me? It wasn't that you. Was, oh, that's, I get it. Yeah. That was a little joke there. All right. Well, uh, oh, sorry, I kept calling you, Roger. Calling me, yeah. <laughs> Maybe it's John Ward. <laughs> it's a suspected. Um, I'm looking not at a, it. Not another, you're not getting arrested again, are you? It's a suspected scam. Uh, I'm wondering if I should uh, answer it on the air here, and uh, see. Uh, from. Yeah, it could be. Could yeah. be. Yeah. She's looking for my social security number. Anyway, um, thank you for uh, for being with us today. I want to give the Autumn Fest numbers again, unless somebody came in for a button. Uh, no, I haven't yeah. received a call last hour. Right. And remember, keep those buttons not only for the drawings this year, but there is a special prize next Autumn Fest for the buttons drawn this year. So put them in those sock drawers. Keep them for next year as well. And um, I'll let uh, Roger read the current numbers. Remember, they'll be redrawn next Monday. Ninety-three forty-four for $500. If you have an Autumn Fest button with 9344 on it, bring it in and get $500. If you have an Autumn Fest button with 1281 on it, 1281, bring it in for $250. If you have an Autumn Fest button that has 6413, 6413, Bring it in for $100. And those are the three main prizes. And do not throw your Autumn Fest buttons away for two reasons. Number one, if we don't get winners, we're going to have a drawing next Monday at 7.30 in the morning. And uh, we'll draw new numbers until we award those prizes. Secondly, uh, Garrett Manseri, chairman of Autumn Fest, reminds me that you save those old buttons because they'll be usable in 2021 for more prizes. So it's... Uh, that is you, the uh, protocol, though, if you have a winning button. Yeah, come. I remember last year, I think Garrett took the calls directly, but mm -hmm. this year, uh, bring them down to WNRI yes. if you have a winner. Yeah, I do. Uh, do I have a winner? No, if they have a winner. If they have a winner, yeah. yes. We are the official Autumn Fest button place because there's only three buttons to deal with. Anyway, thank you for being with us on the Upfront program. We'll see you tomorrow. Good day, everybody. And uh, let's see, today's Wednesday. A recipe for a good day. Coming up with Jeff and Gary. Bye-bye, everybody. This has been WNRI's Upfront, presented weekday mornings at 8 a.m. Upfront is a regular public affairs presentation of News Talk 1380, WNRI Woonsocket. W260DC. WNRI.